Amen. I just want to let you in on a little secret. You know, I'm dealing with having uh, um, new technology in my life, and so I have a hearing aid. And it's not adjusted, it's adjusted real high. So I'm hearing everything real loud right now because I haven't got to my phone to change that adjustment, and I'm not gonna. Uh, and so, God bless you if you see me kind of going, woo, you know. And uh, how many, you know, I'm not gonna ask you, but I, I will reveal this because you'll find out. If you don't know, I, I'm on a CPAP machine now. Oh my gosh. Whatever. It's a modern day torture <laughs> device. Good grief. Well, barely. Now, I will say, after a week, finally, last night was the first time. The first time I halfway felt better. I was getting ready to call this person back again and saying, look, it, you can take your machine back, and uh, I just need something else because it's just not working. And so, Lord bless all of you who have ever struggled with that. And those of you who are going that way, enjoy. <laughs> you, better, you better savor the good times until they come. Amen? Amen. So, yeah, I'm hoping to feel better soon, but I'm a work in progress. So, praise the Lord. Excited to be with you this morning and continue on in our passage in Hebrews chapter 12. You know, when I was growing up in school, um, obviously, I came to the Lord in high school in my freshman year. And my whole life dramatically changed, right? But have you ever felt like this guy right here? He's within an inch of the finish line. And he's down. He has fallen short. I, I don't know. We feel like that sometimes in life, don't we? Well, I, I had a couple friends. Uh, one gal, she was a lifelong friend. I walked to kindergarten with her. And because I lived in the same home uh, pretty much all my growing up years. So I went to kindergarten, middle school, and then high school. And, uh, you know, knew her. She was great. Well, she hooked up with this guy that they were going to be boyfriend and girlfriend she liked and yada, yada, yada. And one thing led to another, and uh, they headed off one night to our local high school, which was right down the road from us. We lived real close. And because it was California, you have outside halls and outside everything. And our swimming pool, we had an Olympic-sized swimming pool, because California, everybody's got to swim. We have water polo teams. And then we have, so we have this long, long, you know, I don't know how many lanes swimming pool to swim in that goes from three feet to eight feet. And then over here, we've got this big square pool that's 12 feet deep. You gotta love that. It's got two diving boards, a low dive and a high dive. And you know, it's awesome. And it was open for the summer. You could go there and swim. I was there every day when I was growing up. And then it was there for high school for our PE and for our water polo teams and diving teams and everything like that. Occasionally, the folks that were around the neighborhood would hop the fence and go for a dip. It was fun. And then they'd get out and take off because we didn't have all the cameras and technology that could catch you today, right? And so we'd have a great time and, and, and nobody ever did, well, I won't say nobody ever did anything they weren't supposed to, but most people, it was pretty innocent, right? But there were others because there were, this 12-foot pool was a square. It had offices around it office size, you know, however tall those ceilings are. And then right over here was our gym. Massive, really tall. So people would jump up on these screws, come over and shimmy up the big drain spout. Oh, see, I see Bethany going, oh, no, 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 because you're right. And they get up on the gym roof. And then while they're on the gym roof, they just didn't get up there for the view. They stood back 
and they ran and jumped for the 12-foot pool. And between the 12-foot pool and the gym and all these other was a span of concrete. And it was rather sizable. So you had to make it. You had to be committed. Because it was not an option to fall short, right? To come up short. No, that's not a good option. And so my friend, and I'm not using names, her and this guy one night, they decide to jump up on these roofs, shimmy up, get on top of the gym, and they're gonna jump off together. Man, I don't know. You know, I love the, the adventurousness of it, uh, but that's not really within the law or rules, right? But uh, that's where they were at. So they got back and they ran and jumped. Now, I don't know. I believe personally they have the athletic ability to make the jump because it was doable. Okay, but uh, they might have been inebriated, they might have been this or that. It, these weren't necessarily Christian young people at the time, but they jumped and they fell short. A long way to fall onto concrete. Uh, we couldn't believe it. We were so happy our friends were still living because uh, my good friend, she broke her pelvis, she broke her legs, she broke her feet. She, you know, I don't know what else you could break. I think there were so many different things broken. The young man uh, crushed both his heels and his feet. And uh, she eventually got out of a wheelchair and was kind of back to business and running around after a year. But I remember at graduation, uh, the guy that she was dating at the time, he still walked with a limp. And I bet he had a limp probably for the rest of his life because he fell short. He fell short. I remember looking up there saying, how could you fall short? Come on, and because I was kind of angry and I was grieving. You can make that. You don't make that jump. You don't crawl up a drain pipe and get up on a high roof. That takes a lot of guts to do that. And then get up there and run and, and go halfway. Oh, I'm just going to kind of go off. They were probably holding hands. Don't hold hands and jump off a roof. Okay. <laughs> they fell short, though. And that's the main thing. And falling short means that you basically, if you're taking notes, you can write this down as a definition. It's, it's basically failing to meet your expectations. It's, it's failing to meet a standard that you hope for. That's falling short. And you know that falling short can cause disappointment like this man here. It can even cause injury many times. It causes suffering and pain, usually emotionally or spiritually. And even at times, it causes death. We fall short in things all the time that really don't have major consequences, but they always disappoint us. But there are times when there are, are major consequences, and you don't want to fall short. Let me tell you something. No one ever has to fall short when it comes to the grace of God, but people do. And that's a huge one. No one ever needs to fall short, though. In our biblical text today, Paul continues to make this point to us, and he says, see to it, and make every effort to attain certain priorities in your life, in your walk with God, so that you can live this blessed life, this great life that God intends. He's giving you everything you need for it. Now don't fall short with it. And so this is what he says today in our passage, in our one verse in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. He says this, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. See to it that 
and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So important here. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, which can help you to fall short of the grace of God, grows up and causes trouble for many and defiles many. Because it won't just cause trouble for you, it will cause trouble for many others. Don't you know when my two friends jumped and missed, it caused trouble for a lot of different people. And then it was really hard to get up on that roof and jump off after that, right? And I know that that's just a concern to high school students, <laughs> not to people that have other things that go on in life. But it did cause a lot of trouble. It did. Now, you want to be mindful of what grace is. Remember, grace is unmerited and undeserved favor. Unmerited and undeserved favor. You, did, you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. God's grace is freely given to us in Jesus. It's not earned or it's not determined by what you do. Do you get that? God has chosen to show us grace that we don't deserve. And, and so here's the deal. If God has chosen to show us grace that we haven't deserved, can we do anything to earn that grace? That, that we couldn't do anything to earn that grace or that favor, so how can we lose it? How can we fall short from it if we didn't do anything to get it? Is it possible really to stray from this grace? Is it possible to fall short of God's favor? Well, I'm here to tell you it is possible, but it doesn't have to be that way. You, you don't have to do that. I want you to consider with me this morning as we look at this passage just five steps that will ensure that you'll never fall short of God's grace. And it's just five, and there are many others. And we need to get in God's word and find those others. And Paul encouraged us to find those others so that we don't fall short. But we're just going to look at five today. Jason kind of mentioned that, and he knows that I have the ability to keep talking and rocking. And so, amen, we're going to go. Fabulous five, here we go. Here's the first one. The first step we can take to ensure that we never fall short of the glory of God, or, or actually the grace of God, and this is it. Receive the giver of grace. Receive the giver of grace. That's the very first thing you have to do. Don't reject the giver of grace, because if you reject them, you'll for sure fall short. But also don't ignore the giver of grace. Don't minimize the giver of grace. Don't get distracted from the giver of grace, but receive him. When you hear John, we've got this verse, it'll be up on the, on the screen here. When you hear John 3, 16 through 18, a very familiar verse that we have quoted so many times, but I want you to hear it again, and I want you to pay attention to it. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have ever lasting life or eternal life. So it means people are perishing who don't believe in him. They will perish. For God, it says, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world or to judge us, but to save the world. God sent him to save the world through him. He had a plan because he wanted to save us. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he hasn't believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You stand condemned. So when you hear a verse like that, 
A person is supposed to hear that good news, and then they, they're supposed to want this grace that they don't deserve. You're supposed to hear that and not stay neutral. It's a witness to you. It's telling you of God's love and plan, and when God does that, he tells it to you, and then you do what? He doesn't expect you to stay neutral with it and go, well, that was nice. He wants you to make a decision and respond to it. Matthew 20, 28 says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, the Son of Man, the Son of Man, the Son of God didn't come to be served like he was some elite, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he knew he would have to do that to pay for our sins. But he came anyway. I'm not supposed to hear that and just go, wow, okay. And then in John 14, 16, it tells us plainly, and Jesus said plainly, that no one can come to the Father through him. No one. He is the only way to the Father. So in our culture, we tend to call Jesus a good teacher, right? We'll say, yeah, he was a good man. He was a good moral teacher. Um, and we'll say that kind of stuff, and then we claim that there are many paths to God. Well, if you, as long as you have faith, you're, you're going to be okay. You're going to heaven. There's many paths to God. There's many paths to heaven. There's many as we want there to be. And that's what our culture says over and over again. But it stands to reason that if Jesus was a good teacher and Jesus taught the truth about himself and he just said in John and he just said in Matthew that he is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through him and through his ransom um, and he's the only one that can give the gift of eternal life. He just told you that he would be true. And it would be true, and there would be one path to heaven. One person, one giver of grace, who is given grace that must be received. Salvation comes by no other name, and there's no other name under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. That's Acts 4.12. It's clear. God's favor is bestowed upon our lives because of Jesus' grace that was shown to us in his death. And by his grace and by God's grace alone, we are saved. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. We have to receive the one through whom grace is given. If we want grace to be felt in our lives, we've got to receive his teaching. We've got to receive him. And to not receive him is to forfeit the grace that he gives and forfeit the salvation that he provides. We can't, we can't have it both ways. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us again, and I know I'm running through these scriptures quick just to show you they're all over the New Testament. This you can trust in. And Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved. That's how you've been saved. And then it's through the faith that you show in responding to that grace. And this, not from yourself, this grace that you have to be saved, and then this faith that you have, this trust to respond, guess what? It's not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, both. Not by works, so that no one can boast. You can be sure if you receive the giver of grace 
you're going to not fall short of God's grace for you. God's word promises you and me that. He says again in John 1, 12 through 13, yet to all who would receive him, to those who would believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. If you believe, if you will receive him, if you will make the decision to trust him and say, Lord, be my Lord, be my Savior, Forgive my sins through your death on my behalf on the cross. You will be saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. You don't got to work for it. You don't got to live a certain life. You don't have to be good enough to get it before God gives you that eternal life and that grace. No, you just have to believe it and receive it. You have to say, okay, I'm done trying to make myself what I think I ought to be. And, and I'm going to accept God's grace on my behalf. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to receive it. So if you do, you get it. But next, you'll never slip. You'll never fall short. And you can be sure after you've received it, if you continue on with these steps, and here's the next one, if you rely on God's grace, now after that you're saved, rather than works. And we know that these, these folks in, in Hebrews, as well as Galatians, Ephesians, they always wanted to go back to works. They always wanted to go back to that because there's something comforting about being able to control your faith and being able to feel like, well, I'm okay. I've done all I need to do, and now I don't have to trust anymore. Now I don't have to follow God anymore. But here I'm here to tell you today, you are either saved by works or you're saved by grace. You can't be saved by both, Right? You're either going to have to keep the whole law and keep it perfectly, which the scripture has said over and over again, no one has done, and that's why God has come, and he sent his son to pay, to pay the penalty. But you're going to have to do it all right and keep the law perfectly if you want to be saved, but no one can ever do that because it's not possible. And the law was given to show us that it wasn't possible. Or you've got to be saved by grace. That's the only way you can be saved by, from sin. It's by grace. It's one or the other, but it's not both. Paul told the Galatians who were looking to go back to their religion of works to justify themselves before God and say that I'm okay because I'm doing these works. This is what Paul says in chapter Galatians 5, 4 through 5. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen short. You have fallen away from his grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. It comes from God. It comes from trusting Him in a relationship with Him and a, and a faith of obedience, taking obedient acts once He speaks to you. Paul likens a dependency on works with that of witchcraft. And he says this in Galatians 3, 1 through 3, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ clearly portrayed as crucified, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit of God by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit that you are now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And that happens to us sometimes. How often do believers begin in the Spirit, but then we, we, after we're saved, we start depending on the works of the flesh rather than the Holy Spirit and His grace in our lives to help us to grow and help us to be what God wants us to be. 
It's common, right? We've all been there. We've all done it. But Paul again, sa- Paul again says in, in Galatians 2, 20, 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He died for nothing. But the Bible told us that the righteous will live by faith. And if you want to please God, you live by faith. That means you look to him. You walk with him. You obey him. We must receive God's favor, right? We must receive his grace. And we do that in faith. And until we do that, we can't be worthy. We can't walk in grace. We can't make it. And so, that second one, we want to rely on grace rather than works. Rely on grace rather than works. Some of us are very zealous. Some of us are very ready to try harder. Um, but God, this is not a try harder religion. This is, a, this is a faith that is by faith. And only works of faith last. And so, trust him. Number three, If you're going to not fall short of the grace of God, you and I, we need to seek the Lord with a willingness to listen and exercise our faith. Listen and exercise our faith. We have to have a life of seeking God and seeking after him, following him, actually. Throughout the Bible, faith had to be exercised over and over again for for anything, any blessing or promise to be fulfilled from God. Remember, Abraham obeyed the voice of the Lord. And he left his homeland because of a promise God gave him in prayer. Because of a promise of blessing. Hebrews 4.2 reminds us, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as others have, or they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. It's so important for me to ask myself, am I, do I have faith? Am I applying faith to what I'm hearing? Or am I just letting things go in one ear and out the other? Can't do that. We must obey and respond and interact. In Mark 2, you know, there were four guys. They wanted to get their friend healed. He was a paralytic. And so they dug a hole in the ceiling. They were so desperate for it. They dug a hole in the ceiling and they let their friend down on a mat in front of Jesus, hoping that he would heal him. And, and the Bible says to us in verse 5 of Matthew t- or Mark 2 that it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. That was the most important thing that had to happen. You are accepted by God. You are forgiven. That paralytic believed he wasn't forgiven. He believed he, he was paralyzed because of his sins. And he, he didn't deserve God's forgiveness. And so Jesus spoke to his heart need first. And everyone's going, well, okay, you only, God, only God can forgive sins. And so you, you know, you're just a, a goofball, and we're not going to buy this. And then what does Jesus do next because of their faith? Tells the paralytic, now, pick up your mat and go home. Stand up, pick it up, and go home. And when he did, they were like, oh, my gosh. Who can forgive sins but also heal people? And Jesus did that in response to their their faith. Jesus did that because he saw that they had faith. 
In the same way James tells us in 2.17, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Okay? I'm going to read that again. Faith by itself, a belief by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. It's dead. It's just a smoke screen. It's a pipe dream. It's just us saying words we don't we can't live out or can't or we're not committed to obey. It must have action. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by our response of faith to God's word. By his grace, our response to his grace. And then Hebrews 11:6 says, "And without faith it is impossible to please God." It's not works, it's not trying harder, it's not efforts, it's not being smarter. It's not being cleverer. No, it's trusting him. And without that, you can't please him because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. Man, am I earnestly seeking him? If I am, I have no trouble. I'm not gonna, but if I'm not this morning, and we know that we fall into places where we're a little more hot than others, we need to get back and be hot again and come back to him. God is always speaking. He's always speaking. We simply have to tune in to his voice and listen for it. And we've got to listen for it through the ways that he speaks. He speaks so that we can walk in his light and favor and blessing. And he wants us to be there in that blessing. So Hebrews 12 again tells us, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those, if those did not escape when they refused him who, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. See, there's always, a, there's always a consequence. So when he speaks, he speaks through his word, and whether it's his word or his voice and the Holy Spirit in your heart or the circumstances of your life or through another person, and remember, God speaks through all those things and we need to discern his voice, we have to be willing to walk in the light he gives us. And when he shares that light, we are to accept it, receive it, walk in it. That is his grace to us. But if we just hear it, and we don't do anything about it, and we don't respond in faith, we're going to fall short of his grace. Because he's speaking to us. Man, make sure you make the jump. If you're going to go and do something, do it all the way. Half measures don't work anywhere, and especially not in faith. So when he speaks, we have to be willing to walk in the light he gives. Otherwise, what he says won't benefit us. It won't. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and, and he who will have an abundance, but from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away from him. Interesting little scripture that Jesus shares. But it has to do with what happens when we don't respond and keep responding in faith. So that's, that's a pretty big one, huh? Listening to the Lord. Being willing to listen and exercise faith. You can do that. Anyone can do that. But here's number four. The only way the enemy can ever win and can defeat us, and we have to know this, no matter how clumsily you and I follow Jesus, the only way he ever gets us is if we give up, and that's number four, never give up. Never give up. Never quit. If, if you don't give up, 
God will see you through to a successful conclusion. Even though you bump around, knock around, whatever. He's promised, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We might be like the guy up there that we're just stretched out, and we're, but then God's going to resurrect you and you're going to get up on a knee or two knees and then crawl across the finish line. That might be you. That might be me sometimes. Never give up. Satan will always speak to us and say, if God really cares about you, he wouldn't let this happen to you. How can you think that you're saved if you did that? Well, the devil's a liar. He's a twister of truth. And he's a liar. He's an accuser. He'll always point out our weaknesses and point out how we're not consistent. The question is, are we getting it there by our own works or our own merit? No. I'm in the grace of Jesus and God, and and, and I'm not going to give up. And I'm going to keep seeking and keep listening and keep walking by faith. So stand on the fact that you're saved by faith in Jesus. Stand on his grace, that you were saved by his grace and saved by his name and his sacrifice alone. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what happens, no matter how much you you mess up, don't quit. And you're not going to fall short. It might not be pretty, (laughs) but you won't fall short. Amen? You won't fall short. And here's number five, and the last one. And it's so important. Our scripture says, and make sure that there's no bitter root that grows up to cause trouble for many. You know, the fruit of bitterness is not bitterness. It's a lot of other things that come out of the life. The root, though, is bitterness. Bitterness is a poison that will destroy your life. And it will affect not only you, but everybody around you. How does bitterness occur? How does that root occur? How does it grow? Well, it grows because of the sin that so easily entangles us, and then the things that jump on our life that hinders us, and we don't resolve conflicts, and we don't find healing for wounds, and, and, and we become contemptuous, and we don't work it out. <laughs> when we don't reconcile, but we let something fester, What happens in due time is those things take root and they nurture bitterness. And and it grows underneath. It grows hidden. What's in your heart? What's What's in the dark recesses of your mind? Dark recesses of your heart that if you were to explore there, you would find. What's in my heart? Is there any hurtful way? Is there anything unresolved? Is there anything wound that has not been healed that I've kept in the dark? See, you can keep anything in the dark. Anything that's in the dark is going to be known eventually. Amen? It's going to come out. You can't lie to your body. It'll come out. You can't lie to your soul. It'll come out. It'll come out in us, and it is like a poison, and it will destroy our lives, and it will affect others around us. So there could be something someone did or an adversity of our life that torments us, and, it can, and if we leave it there, it's going to become a root of bitterness. And so no matter what the cause of that bitterness, it will keep us from experiencing the grace and favor of God. I don't know if it's something a parent said to you one time, 
and you have held as a wound into adulthood, I don't know what it is, but you can be certain that we have things like that in our lives and in our hearts and our minds that need healing and the root of bitterness that needs to be eradicated from us. See, forgiveness, we need to, if you can't forgive, forgiveness is giving up the right to hurt someone for hurting you. It's giving up the right to hurt someone for hurting you. And it's been said that bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking a cup of poison and hoping it kills the other person. It's silliness. Bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking a cup of poison and expecting it to kill the other person. It kills us. When we become bitter, we say things and do things we, we normally wouldn't do. And so for the, our sake and for other people's sake, we need to reject bitterness. It will cause us to fall short. It will cause us to fall short of God's grace. And there's no need. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32 tells us this. Let all bitterness, and now these other things that are connected to bitterness, these are fruits of bitterness, which are wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Let them be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave you. You know you're dealing with bitterness if there is anyone in your life or in your memory that you cannot be kind to, tender-hearted toward, forgiving toward, you know you have bitterness there. And we are to forgive as Christ has forgave me. To How and to what extent has Jesus forgiven you? We need to go to the cross and sit there until we are conscious of that. If I have a hard time forgiving somebody, I just got to go and sit at the cross with Jesus at his feet and go, Did you have to suffer and die like that for my sins to be forgiven? How much was I forgiven? And am I showing that same grace and forgiveness to others? How can I not? And if, if I can't, I need to stay at that cross and at its feet until I can. Until I see how dark my heart has been. How dark my life and my sin has been. And how much I needed God to do to rescue me from sin and the penalty of sin in my own life. And as we do, we can forgive. As we do, we can be healed from all bitterness. We can reject it and, re and resist it and receive grace instead. It's the grace of God that heals us. It's the truth and movement of God that heals us. So finally, each of us have to make a decision again. I've been coming back to this. We have to make a decision to receive God's grace and Jesus' substitute, substitutionary work on the cross on our behalf to save us. Have you done that this morning? And then each of us have to make a decision from then on. We have to choose to depend daily on the Holy Spirit's power, his wisdom, his grace to live a safe life and to run the course God's marked out for us. How are we doing with that? Are we making those decisions daily to depend upon his grace, his spirit, his power, his life to save us? 
Again, we are saved by grace. Through faith, and this not from ourselves, it's a daily gift from God, moment by moment, not obtained by works, so that no one can boast. But this grace and this faith in the giver of it, that's what gives us this grace. And as we have it, we do take steps and actions of obedience to the Lord, and our life changes. It changes because we trust him, and by faith we walk. So we become different. We become more holy. But it's his work that does it. I was telling our group of small group guys, just a little thing. I was just saying, back when Jody and I were first married, uh, I wanted desperately for us to pray together. I thought, shoot, you know, I'm an associate pastor in the church. We're newly married. I want us to be prayer partners. But I couldn't figure out how to make that happen. It just seemed like we'd pray here and there, and we'd pray at meals and all that kind of stuff. But we weren't really knit, and we weren't prayer partners. And the Lord just said, Kelly, ask me. I went, okay. <laughs> like, you know, I should have known by now, but, you know, I had to ask him. And so I said, all right, Lord, you make this a reality in our life. And I kept coming to the Lord saying, Jesus, make us prayer partners and make this a reality in our life. And all of a sudden, one day, what did I do? I, I woke up, looked around, and, and what, what was the reality? We were prayer partners. And I remember saying, oh my gosh, God, how'd you do that? You accomplished what I could not accomplish with all my zeal and effort. You did. And we were prayer partners. I've seen that play out in my life, I can't tell you countless times, in regards to walking with the Lord, knowing him, seeing holiness grow in my life, and being freed from certain things from my past. The Lord has had to do it through the power of his Holy Spirit as I kept trusting him and depending on him and asking him for the grace and then walking in the wisdom he provided and power he provided and obedience to him. That's how this thing works. And you never fall short. You never fall short. Why? Because God's giving you everything you need. He's carrying you there. He's making it a reality. Isn't that a lot better than having a religion of works? So I better say amen to that. Oh my gosh. We have not been called to any kind of a religion and ritual where I'm trying to work hard to get to God and be acceptable to him and then get smacked when I'm not. No. He gives us everything we need. Everything. Have you received the giver of grace? Are you walking in it? If you do, you're going to never fall short of his grace. And you're not going to be consumed by the life-sucking root of bitterness. Don't ever let bitterness suck you dry. It's, it's a lousy root. It's akin to crabgrass in your backyard. I'm telling you, well, no, it's worse than that even. See, I bemoan that all the time in my backyard. God's grace. I want you to stand with me, and let's close in prayer this morning. I want you to know that his grace is given. You can freely receive it. You can be forgiven this morning of your sins. He'll accept you as his son and daughter and make you that according to scripture if you'll turn to him in faith. If you're hearing his voice speak to your heart this morning, don't harden it by not responding. Respond to him. If you need somebody to pray with you, you come forward. You can even now, before we pray, you can come forward. And we'll pray with you and for you as we close in prayer. I, I'm not going to stretch that out, but I'm telling you, if you've ne never responded in obedience and faith, to receive him and made that decision, 
you need to step across that line this morning and do it um, and receive the giver of grace. It'll be yours. You'll make it. You'll make it to the 12-foot pool. It'll be great, and it'll be no problem. But don't, don't keep yourself in between. That's not good. Not good. And then this morning, if, you're, if you were saved by grace, and you know that, and you've been walking with the Lord, but boy, you, you've made your walk with the Lord um, an effort of works, and you're trying to make yourself what you think God wants you to be, and you're tired of playing that game that will never end successfully, uh, respond to him today. And if you need someone to pray for you, come forward and we'll pray for you today. But make a decision this day my religion of works ends. It's going to be by the grace of God and obedience to his grace and to his word to me. Amen? Let's pray together. And if you need someone to pray for you, reach out to him or come forward. Let's pray together, though. Lord, we just thank you for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that you have made such a great way for us that we, we don't have to ever fall short of your your grace has been given. It's so vast. It's so free. But we have to choose to receive it and to receive you. Lord Jesus, help us to do that. And then God, for those that need to, to know uh, that their sins are forgiven, to know that you have a purpose and plan to them, speak to their hearts and help them to reach out to you for the very first time and come to know you as Lord and Savior. Please do that. And, and show them that you are there and that you will forgive them and free them for the penalty of sin. But God, for, for those of us who have been walking with you that constantly want to run back to works to, to justify our, our lives or our faith or to make us feel good, Lord, receive us again by faith and help us to walk by faith. Help us to put our trust in you and to lean on you on your promises, on your word, and respond to you in faith, not by works. God, help us to respond in faith and obedience to you and be transformed. So God, we want to live, we want to live in grace, and we want to live through the faith that you've given us as well, that we might become all that you desire for us, Lord, that we might complete the course you've marked out for us. So bless your church, and bless your people today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, Amen. 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 Lord.